welcome to episode 103 of the Massive Attack Podcast. I'm Joe, and with me as always is Mitch. G'day. <laughs> it's cold here in Melbourne. Yes. So we're, we're recording on a cold winter's night, and we'll jump in with our usual. We'll talk about gaming. Now, I've got on the run sheet, nothing new for you. Yeah, I've, well, I've been playing the same games I played last time, so nothing new to add. So let's just get straight into what you've been doing. Well, I've been playing a few older games. I'm continuing with my Game Pass subscription. Mm-hmm. And because my kids are quite sports mad, especially my older boy, we've decided to check out Rocket League. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you've got Rocket League and yes. you had it for quite a while. Yeah. And it didn't quite gel with you that well? Nope. Because I sucked at it and I didn't want to put the time in to get better at it. When I first played it, when I played just the demo originally against computer opponents, I sucked really badly. But like last month when I was talking about Pez, when you actually play with another human and you're both at the same sort of skill level, it's actually kind of fun. And once you actually get the hang of the fact that you are driving a car and trying to bang the ball into the goals and actually the biggest problem I had is working out which goal I was actually meant to go for because the goals are very similar coloured. But it's fun. Like I love the idea of it. That's why I bought it. Mm. But I just sucked at it. Yeah, I think you do have to have a bit of skill with the driving. And I found the the way the camera moves is a little bit difficult when you first start. Mm. But I've played a few games with both of my kids, actually, and we, we kind of like it. As I said, I, I've, I've tried against the computer opponents, and I'm really bad, but playing against other people is kind of fun. Cool. And continuing with Game Pass... You mentioned a little while ago that you'd seen an ad for a game called Void Bastards. Yeah, it, it looked, looked kind of cool. It looked a bit Borderlands-y. Was it first person? It is first person. Sort of cartoony with a sense of humour. Mm. It's very comic-y in the fact that all of the loading panels, well, all the loading screens are comic panels. Mm. And it reminds me a lot of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because it has a, an English dude doing a voiceover and he's very familiar sounding to the, the old... 80s Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy voiceover. I'm not sure who the dude that does the voice is, but but the concept is you are floating around in space working for some company that does kind of like extractions of loot from other spaceships. So you, you fly around, you get docked into the spaceship and you have a little map and it sort of says, yep, you need to pick up this particular item in this particular part of the spaceship. And then you just Go around. You can kind of play stealth and not kill anybody, or you can just go all out. Oh, so you're not meant to be there. No, you're completely looting the other ships. Okay. And there is hostile people on the ships and other robots. And well, fair enough too. You're going yeah. in their stuff to steal their shit. But just the look of it is fun. It is even on easy. It's quite hard. Uh, and when you first start, you have limited amount of ammo and quite a small sort of just handgun sort of thing. But as you pick up the loot from the other ship. You can use that to build mines and grenades and a a different gun and stuff. But what I really like about it is if you die, your character itself dies and they just give you a new character and sort of go, right, you're now this person and here is your loot that we've saved from the corpse of the other guy sort of thing. So you you don't actually lose anything. You just kind of... So is there a storyline? I don't think so. loot things you steal? Well, you are kind of going to a bigger goal. I think the the whole idea is it gives you like a, a map of where you are on the ship and there's particular lines of other ships you can go through to get to where you need to be. Mm. And you can choose which ships you want to loot or whether you want to like fast forward through them and not loot them. But obviously the more you loot, the more you, stuff you get that you can then 
recycle into other weaponry and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it, it's fun. I've played probably a couple of like one hour sessions. So I'm probably about three, four hours in. It is a little bit samey because you are purely landing guns or are they just straightforward? Well, so far I've only got a, a handgun and it's almost like dead space. It's like a gun that shoots like staples almost, but they're like electrified staples kind of thing. But there's certain ships you go to that are completely derelict and you have to be able to go and find the power supply to turn the power back on, which will then open the electric doors and Sounds stuff. It's like my kind of game. It, it's it's kind of cool. And it's one of those things where I played my first session with headphones on and it's just very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. Even though it's cartoony, you still have that sort of sound of footsteps behind the doors so you know that there's someone there before you open the other door and, and stuff. Like all humans or aliens? No, they're all aliens. Okay. And you, you're human, but pretty much everything you encounter is either like robot gunship sort of things or, or oh. aliens. But yeah, I, I really recommend it. it. It is part of Game Pass, but I think it's fairly cheap if you wanted to buy it outright. It's cool. under 20 bucks, I'd say. Cool. Not 100% sure on that, so don't quote me, but yeah. But other than that, I have been playing a little bit of PC gaming because I finally bit the bullet and bought the Fire Promoter DLC for Fire Pro Wrestling World. Mm-hmm. It was on special and Steam keeps sending me emails saying, hey, come and check this special out. And I succumbed. Mm. I had heard some bad things about it originally because I think when it did first drop, there was a lot of bugs in it and people were saying they were getting you know years into their promotion and then the save would corrupt and you'd lose all your data and stuff. But basically what it is, is it's a simulator of you running your own promotion and you start with a limited roster, limited amount of assets no fan base what to speak of so you're doing little shows in gymnasiums in front of 100 people and you so this is part of the fire pro game or is this its own no, game it's f- part of the fire pro game so it's using the assets of fire pro yep. and if you want to you can import your own federations that you've created which is what i did with my made-up characters mm-hmm. and then it also has six or seven other promotions that are all made up of other made-up characters yeah and yeah eventually as you go on you you, know, you you build your shows, you get so a bigger like fan a manager base. Game, a soccer manager Pretty game. much, yeah. And but what, so you do fantasy booking essentially. Yeah. So you got to book a venue, book the talent, blah blah blah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Pick what merch you want to sell, how much you want to charge people for the tickets, what sort of promotion you want to do, whether you want to just you know social media or posters or TV ads, getting yourself sponsorship. So I was playing it on the easiest of the the modes to start with, just to get my head around it, yeah. and it took me seven seasons, so seven years worth of promotions doing one show a month to get from bottom of the ladder to being the most popular promotion in the world. So I was pretty happy with that. I don't know if that's a good figure or not. So how, why, why hard? There's easy and hard. What do they, what I makes think it harder? the difference is you start with less assets. Mm-hmm. So you can't just throw contracts at people to start with. You have very limited funds to start with. But if you play it on easy, I think you start with about $2 million mm-hmm. and you can then hire who you want to hire and, it's very good in the fact that you can't just randomly go around and go, yes, I have this person, so this person, this person. It's a Billy simulator. It, it pretty much is. So, but basically there's people that are in other feds and it gives you like a, a marking of how satisfied they are in that fed. So if they're getting a bit lower, you can sort of tempt them with offers mm-hmm. and there's free agents. You can sort of throw money at them and say, hey, come join my fed. And if you don't want to actually completely hire someone, you can kind of just borrow them for a show. But yeah. it, it's fun. And with the, the matches themselves, you can either 
totally simulate the match and it just gives you a result or you can gotcha. kind of watch the match in fast forward or if you want to, you can play the matches yourself. Do you book the winners? No. No? If you control it yourself, obviously if you win the match, you win the match and if the computer beats you, you lose the match. But otherwise, if you simulate it, it just randomly decides who's going to win and who's going to lose. You're not really booking then, are you? Well, you are, kind of. Well, actually, it, it treats it as if it's almost real. Okay. So there, there's no... Well, it, it's completely kayfabe in the fact that you are running a show and these two wrestlers are going to put on the show and it bases... Like it, Fire Pro always gives you like a, a percentage score of how satisfied the fans are at the end of a match. Obviously, the higher the score, yep. the total combined is how good your show is. Mm-hmm. And when you first start, you only start with like a roster of six people so you can normally only put on like a, a three-match show and you can't use them more than once on one show sort of thing so you can't like double book people. Yeah. But... Yeah, you put on like three matches in front of your 100 people in your gymnasium and then at the end of it, it sort of bases the percentages of those matches and gives you an average and tells you whether you're a successful show or not. Obviously, the more successful you are, the more fans you get and then you you can build bigger venues, cross promotions, that sort of stuff. But I think on one of the older incarnations of Fire Pro, I think it might have even been the Sega Saturn one, they had it and I did try and play it on that but because it was all in Japanese, I had absolutely no idea. But because Fire Pro World is in English, mm-hmm. it makes it a bit easier. Cool. So, yes, I'm hooked on Fire Pro again. Yeah. Well, speaking of gaming, actually, one thing I could talk about gaming is E3 happened since we last. It did, yes. So, I watched the Ubisoft talk, and that was a bit shit, just because, yeah, I watched the, the Microsoft or the Xbox one first, and that was cool because there was a lot of things they promoted, like a lot of games. Yeah. And then I watched Ubisoft one because it was less games, because it was only Ubisoft games as opposed to all the developers. They played a lot more gameplay. And it was like, oh, for okay. God's sake, do we need 10 minutes of gameplay of Assassin's Creed or something? That didn't real, really wow me as much. So out of the Microsoft ones, the one that did, I suppose, Borderlands 3 wasn't in the Microsoft one, but that still wowed me because I watched bits of that. Um, Gears 5 was kind of exciting. Yeah, when they announced it, I was kind of like, well, I haven't even finished Gears 4. So. No, me neither. Hmm. So they're, they're probably then the two things that I took out of it as far as what I wanted to see or play. Hmm. But yeah. I did hear the other day when listening to Pendulette's podcast that he's actually voicing a character in Borderlands 3. Cool. Called Pain and Terror. So it's kind of like him and Teller are doing the voices, but obviously Teller doesn't speak. So Teller it's just... talks. I got an ad for Masterclass, which is a YouTube sort of oh, sign-up yeah. for Masterclasses. Hmm. And it was an ad for Penn and Teller teaching magic. And there's Teller just chatting away, saying, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. It's like, what the? Yeah. They broke cafe. You don't need to talk. Because, hmm. I mean, he was on an episode, a few episodes of Big Bang Theory in the last season, and he spoke in that, which yeah. was kind of weird. But, yeah, he's just like out there just chatting. So I guess it's not as important. As it was. Well, like it's part of the Penn and Teller Act. Yeah, when he's on stage, is... he doesn't talk. But apparently, in the meet and greets afterwards, he will talk to people. Yeah, it's just part of the yeah part of the gimmick, part of the stick. Yeah. All righty. Cool. Well, mentioning Big Bang Theory, shall we move on to television? Why not? Why not? Let me talk. What have I done? What have I done? What have I watched? Um, I did start speaking of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy the other day, I, which has nothing to do with. Douglas Adams, but I watched Good Omens, the very first episode of Good Omens, which is written by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman, which is sort of very Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh, is it? Yeah. Mm. And it's about an angel and a demon that sort of team up to sort of hide the Antichrist or the bringing of the apocalypse. And it's just very, very English, very quirky, 
quite fun. Hmm. So only one episode in so far, but yes, I think it's like a five or six episode series. That's it. Yes, and that's on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Despite the fact that there was the petition being signed to send to Netflix to have it taken off because of the satanicness of it. Yes, Is that correct. A word? Correct. So yeah. Netflix promised that they would not make any more <laughs> on them. I think that's great. Yes. <laughs> And it's not like not make any more. It's like it's one book. There is no more anyway. Mm. That's it. It's based on a novel and it's done. So like even Amazon Prime could turn around and say, we promise we won't make any more either. It's, yeah. It's, it's fine. Well, I, I think one of their Twitters was like, well, Amazon Prime promised not to do any more seasons of Stranger Things, I think it was, if uh, Netflix <laughs> decided they weren't going to do o- Good Omens. So mm. got a chuckle out of that. Yeah. So that was that was cool. Mm. Mm. What else? I'll do another one. I you've done this. You've talked, spoken about this before, but I uh, did catch up on some hip hop evolution. And I don't know if I watched an episode before because there's so many hip hop docos on Netflix. That yeah, I don't know what I've seen and what I haven't. But yeah, I went to watch this, and I don't know what my Netflix is doing at the moment because I was watching some Queer Eye, and it was playing out of order, and like it kept playing a different one. So I finished that. We'll get Queer Eye out of the way. I finished that the later season. Finally, I mm. turned through that, and I just. Not as cool. Yeah, I found with this third season I just haven't been as hooked. I don't know. They're looking for the story more. And I understand why. The show's more about the story now. It's not about the makeover. Yeah. But they're just trying a little bit too hard. God, Karama, he wants to be that first in with the hug. Whenever they meet somebody, yep. he's, he's always first. And you can sort of see some episodes where they're redundant. Like one of the members just, they don't need to really do the cooking or they don't need to do this or that. And sometimes they're really grasping at straws to shoehorn in a moment yep. to go, I, I, we're going to talk about this. And as much as I like Anthony, I think he is absolutely useless in a couple of episodes in this season. Pretty much all. Like if he's just there being Anthony, he's okay. It's when he tries to be functional that he just, you, you are useless. It's like yep. we don't need you. I mean, what's the name of a different lame duck? He's probably the one I want to hang out the most. Tan? No, Tan's, Tan's lovely. I love Tan. Well, as long as you like check shirts and skinny jeans, he's fine. He hasn't done that this much this okay. season. But um, the designer guy, Bobby, like he's probably the, on the show I don't like him much because of what he does, but I reckon out of, out of all of them who I'd like to hang out with, probably him. I think he's probably the hardest working one out of the oh, show. Oh, yeah, because he's too busy getting the shit together. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so I, I, I finished that, got that up to date, but they did one where they went and did over these two sisters who ran, like, what is this barbecue joint in America? What do they call it? They sell... You haven't seen this season? No, I haven't seen all of it. No, okay. I haven't seen that particular one. No, it's a slow cook barbecue sort of joint. Okay. Where I mean, you go and sell stuff. Yeah. These two African-American women, that sisters that run it, and they're probably in their 50s or 60s. Okay. And they did up the barbecue joint and their fashion and all this sort of stuff. And it, the food looked disgusting. It wasn't like it was really good food. Like it was meant to be good and stuff like that. And it was just like, it didn't look nice. No. No. So, but your idea of barbecue is a sausage in bread. Well, don't get me wrong. Pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> like we, there was a sausage sizzle at my son's pool the other day where he's had his swimming lessons. Yeah. As we were walking out, they were shutting down the fucking barbecue because we were going to have one on the way out. You know, not before. You can't swim before. Can't half an hour. So we had to go to fucking Bunnings. Because like, <laughs> just well, get a sausage. In my head, we were going to have a sausage. Yes, I know. It's just, it just looked gross. It was in polystyrene packaging. They were just tipping their special sauce into containers. It did, didn't look appealing. Not your thing. No, it may have been nice. No, watch the episode. Okay. I'm sure you've seen Better Brisket. I'm sure I have. Yes. So, anyway. yeah, so that was um, Queer Eye. Um, what was I talking about? Hip Hop Evolution. Yeah, so I was playing Weird Out of Order. So I put the what I thought was the first episode. And they were talking about uh, the South Central guys. Okay. Um, yeah. um, NWA, all those sort of guys. It's like, 
This is weird for a first episode. Yeah, I think that was about episode three of the first season. It was episode three. Yeah. I don't know why they started with that one. Okay. I was like, this is weird because they followed the New York scene. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then the next episode was sort of the one before that. And so it, okay. it was all out of order. Yep. So, yeah, the third episode I watched was all about the history of Grandmaster Flash and African Bombarda. So we've talked about hip-hop evolution or the history of hip-hop in previous episodes because of the hip-hop family tree comic books that we've talked about. So yep. this is just puts a visual to those to those books, which is kind of cool. Cause yeah, I kind of felt it was a lot like hip-hop family tree in the fact that they had the sort of drawings of mm. the people and then they – showed them now and stuff but yeah I've, I've watched both seasons I think it was season one when we first talked about it but since then season two was dropped yeah, so I'll hopefully get there soon so I'm three episodes in and I'm really digging it mm. so it's yeah, yeah I've I, I really worked lyrically about it enough I really like season two because there was a lot of stuff that was sort of, I wouldn't say modern, but newer. There was a lot of like 80s and 90s stuff that I didn't know a lot about, like the Miami scene with Two Live Crew mm-hmm. and the Oakland scene, how everyone was kind of all tied in with Dallas Soul and, and those sort of guys. Okay, so, so, yeah, there was no a lot ICP of stuff. No yet? Any reference? No. There hasn't been a Detroit scene, white rappers or anything like that yet, okay. really. What about uh, Boston? No. There was Texas, which I didn't think had a rap scene, but yeah. that was pretty interesting too. Because isn't Boston, who's the jump around guys? Oh, House of Pain. Yeah. Yeah, they're from Boston. Mm. Anyway. Oh, the last cool. But yeah. It's all about the white rap. That's what I'm waiting for. Yeah. Cause, cause I'm sure there'll be a Vanilla Ice episode. Well, it's pretty important. Well, they should have Is been. Is there an MC Hammer episode? Uh, actually, he's in the Oakland episode. Okay. And it is quite interesting how they talk about He broke how, down some barriers. Yeah, exactly. How he was the, like this million-dollar hip-hop Well, he was the selling. first rap single to be number one, I think. No, that was no. Rapper's Delight by was Sugar Hill Gang. one? Yes, it was. Really? Mm. Billboard? Apparently. Mm. I don't know. But that's what they say in one of the other episodes. Okay. But yeah, but I think he was the first million-selling number one or something, Hammer. And okay. he won Grammys and stuff, which I don't think anyone else had done before that. No. But yeah. Yeah, I, I would recommend it. Cool. I, if, I'm definitely going to get through it, hopefully in the right order. And if you like that, I would suggest go and watch The Defiant Ones as well, which is a four-part Another doco one. Okay. about um, a producer whose name escapes me at the moment, but he was around in the 70s producing Stevie Nicks and um, Tom Petty albums. Mm. And then he kind of fell into obscurity for a little while and then he met Dr. Dre and hooked up with Dr. Dre and he's like the, the money side behind when Dr. Dre first started Death Row Records. Okay. And... Some of the people that he's produced since then, like Gwen Stefani's solo album and a couple of other breakout albums, it is actually really good. Well, that was a good thing about the the New York episode with the Run DMC and all those guys, yep. that episode. It's essentially Cross Groove, yeah. the movie, and yep. you got to sort of see it with the real people. And Well, mind you, Cross Groove did have the real people. Because what I don't get, because in Cross Groove, Curtis Blow was like one of the main the main star. Yeah. Like he's already an established star. Run DMC, LL Cool J, all those guys are coming through. And yeah, but it's all based on the success of Curtis Blow and he's bringing everyone yep. else through. I couldn't tell you who the hell Curtis Blow is. No. Like he doesn't seem to resonate at all in pop culture history to me. Like I just don't know. Yeah. I think Curtis Blow was kind of like Generation One mm. and Run DMC and LL Cool J was kind of almost. Generation 2. And that's, oh, that's what I loved about it because I watched it out of order, unfortunately, but it would have been better to watch in order. Yep. But you talked about Africa Bombarda, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Yep. And they were so coming out of that disco time. So they're wearing ridiculous outfits exactly. and costumes. And one of the guys is saying that he goes, I, I was wearing five belts. <laughs> I was wearing fox furs around my neck. You know, I mean, it's just de rigueur now. 
Yeah. But Run DMC were out there with a Kangol hat and in their Adidas. Exactly. Yeah. And that was for them. That was just like gang sort of clothing in a way. Yeah. But it was like, what are you doing? You've got to wear five belts and, you know, well, <laughs> fur coats. And they go, no, they just were wearing the – and to me it looks a bit more over-the-top street, but maybe it was what they were wearing at the time. Yeah. Well, I think the fact that they took their laces out of their Adidas yeah. and had their tongues out and stuff. And was, it made it a, yeah. a uniform for yeah. them. But and, and that was fascinating to think that they did so many things. Like not only was the music innovative and they were telling stories and it was a bit more angry. Yeah, you know, because they talk, they didn't talk a lot about Public Enemy. It was a lot more about Run DMC, but Public Enemy just got a really quick, yeah, like five minutes, if that. Where I thought they were a lot more important. Yeah, I thought that too. But they kind of touch on them a little bit in one of the other episodes oh, okay, as well when why. they talk to. Uh, there's an episode where they talk about Ice T mm. and and that sort of era as well. And I think Public Enemy get a bit of more okay, mention maybe. in that. Yeah, so I just. I don't know. I mean, it's not my favourite part of music, and it's not. But the fact that I missed it, I sort of it was happening, and I could see it happening to the side. But I was, you know, probably listening to my, you know, John Farnham and Danielle communication single or something to pay attention to what was going on over there. Probably worth. And it was just like, oh, because I remember Push It by Salt and Pepper. It was some sort of advertising on SBS at the time. We're using it for a, like a festival of, you know, yeah, they'd have a theme yep. of a month of playing certain things. I remember Push It was this song. I was like, oh, wow, this is quite in a, different. Yeah. But yeah, I never really followed. And Beastie Boys I knew from Fight for Your Right, but I never went any further until, yeah. you know, things like Sabotage came out years later. Yeah, well, like I knew of later. them, yeah. but it was like a long period, a long career that exactly. before they sort of smashed yeah. the ceiling again and became relevant. Hmm. So yeah, I'm really, really digging that. Something you've started, you've watched already and talked about, but I've been watching on Viceland as it airs is The Dark Side of the Ring. So I watched a couple of episodes of that. So I watched Randy Savage and the... Shitting in a Suitcase? Yep. And the Bruiser Brady. Okay. So far. So you haven't seen the Von Eric one yet? No. That's Looking quite interesting. That one. But I've now watched all of that as well. And I must say the Fabulous Muller episode was a bit of an eye-opener. I had heard some stories that she was not a very nice person. And watching the episode, it's quite, I guess, there's a, there's quite a juxtaposition, whereas there is a bunch of people that were trained by Muller that are like, yep, Muller's the best thing in wrestling since sliced bread. And then there's a bunch of other people that are all like, Muller exploited us and she pimped us out and we would only get booked if we would sleep with the promoters and all this sort of stuff. And kind of ironically, all the people that love Muller were all white and all the people that hated Muller were all Coloured or Hispanics. Okay. So maybe there was something going on there in the 60s and 70s when Muller was training the women wrestling. Mm. So, yes. But that probably leads on to another series that Viceland is showing as well. I've been watching it through the app, so I'm not sure exactly what day it's airing. Tuesdays at 10.30. It is. So yes. that's another show called The Wrestlers. Yep. And I have watched four or five of the episodes I've of that now. I've watched two. I watched the Mexican or the Lucha Libre episode. Okay, because so there's actually two Mexican episodes. Okay, I watched one with Phoenix in it. Yeah, that, that was quite about good. Trump's America and how it is affecting wrestling mm. a little bit. But basically there's this dude called, I think it's David Abrahams, is it? I don't but know. He's a Canadian dude that's been a lifelong wrestling fan and a, a bit of a, a film person. And he's decided to go around and film these, I guess, stories you'd call it, of wrestling outside of the mainstream. But I think they're a couple of years old when they were or a couple of years ago that they were filmed because when they're interviewing Phoenix and Pentagon, it's before they've really they're made Lucha a huge... Underground now, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So I think this was kind of at the time when Lucha Underground was first breaking out. Oh, because it's all about him going to America and trying to break it. Yeah, I, I think it was him getting permanent residency in America and stuff, but I'm not sure if he has got that now, but the Lucha Brothers are probably one of the biggest free agent tag teams in the world. They're out here in Australia 
not so long ago, actually, for a World Series wrestling. Mm-hmm. So, yes, but there are also another Mexican episode as well where they talk to the effeminate wrestlers for the exotics. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. But that one's quite good as well because they're talking about breaking down the, um, the homophobic barriers in wrestling. Mm. But there's also another really good one about domestic violence and women. And they speak to Maya, Maya Kim, Maya Lim, I think her name is. But she was uh, an independent wrestler, worked for Shimmer and a bunch of other women's federations. And now she's actually in NXT as well, doing quite well for herself. But she came out of a quite a bad domestic violence situation with her ex-partner, who was also a wrestler. And as it turned out, she talked to some of the other female wrestlers in the locker room after it was happening and pretty much all of them sort of went, well, yeah, this happens to pretty much all of us. And she kind of exposed the business as being not good for female workers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in that episode as well, they also concentrate on the Cholitas, who are the female wrestlers in Bolivia, mm-hmm. who kind of wrestle in that traditional Andean sort of flowing dresses with the little hats and stuff. Mm-hmm. And just talking about how most of them come from domestic violence situations as well. So it was quite an eye-opener. So yeah, I would recommend it. They are all available on the Viceland app if you don't want to wait to watch them weekly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've as I said, I've watched nearly all the season and I recommend it. Well, I watched the episode, the second one I watched was on last night and that was the indie wrestling, sort of Evolve, the one about... Oh yeah, with Sammy Callahan. Yeah, mm. I don't know. It was just a bit, yeah, this is indie wrestling. Good indie wrestling, like as big as indie wrestling can get, I suppose. Yeah. But I was watching my favourite show, which is 8 out of 10, Kester Countdown. Then after that, <laughs> there was a documentary on making the Dome of Chernobyl, which was really cool. Okay. Because it was Chernobyl, they, they call the sarcophagus. Like yep. when it happened, they go, fuck, this is dangerous. And they just poured shitloads of concrete on it. Like got yep. in there and made a concrete bunker around the thing. And... They said, this is temporary, this is not permanent, this is not... Because they couldn't get in there and do it properly, you know. Around that area, it was like 30 seconds or something had to be in and out around that area um, for exposure. So they did what they could, but that's breaking down. The concrete's breaking down. So for, you know, 10 years they've been working on this cover. So it's this steel, looks like a hang, looks like a hanger that they put over the top. <coughs> and it's a bit, it's like mega factories or any of those sort of mega structures sort of shows. Okay. Because Chernobyl's put a popular at the moment because the HBO show, which I do plan on watching but haven't started yet. Yeah, me too, but yeah, I haven't got around to it. Um, so it's about this, this hanger that they built to put over the top of it and how they're going to deconstruct it and make it. So yeah, because I, I don't know how radiation works, like, like magnets, you know, it's miracles, <laughs> man. But <laughs> 300 metres away from the thing, it's okay. You can actually work 300 metres away. It's this rogue gamma rays that sort of come out, and if one gets in there, you can get cancer. It's just sort of one of turn into the Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just weird. So they're building this thing not far away, but obviously there's limits. So they get checked on how much rads they've been exposed to and things like that. But just massive bunker that they put on the top and slid it sideways. On t- over the top so that they couldn't build it on it because they couldn't be near it so they had to build it down the road like so many hundred metres away and then on tracks they wheeled it into place essentially nice and it was quite funny because generally when I watch 8 out of 10 cats I text a friend back and forth we play the game essentially coming out with the biggest words <laughs> on the numbers and just generally chat while we're doing it and then this doc I was on afterwards and it's like where's the sex show normally there's the awkward sex show afterwards but this looks much more interesting so I'm watching that and we're still texting and just because we're in that silly frame of mind everything sounded sexual and they're sliding this thing over and it's just the shaft and this and it's like that's still a sex show it's fine <laughs> so it was kind of weird to watch it that way but um, yeah so I did that and then the wrestling then the wrestling show was on after that so it was a big Viceland night for me 
last hmm. night. What about you? You've been watching anything? Well, speaking of sexual innuendo, we talked a little while ago about a show called Forged in Fire, Knife or Death. Yes. And you texted me a couple of weeks ago and went, hey, did you know this is on Foxtel? So I went back and I'll get to Knife or Death, but the actual original show, which is just Forged in Fire, was also on Foxtel as well. So we went to the On Demand and my wife and I decided we would pick just a random episode and I think we may have even picked the first one in the first season. But the concept of Forged in Fire is they have knife makers and blacksmiths and those sort of people come together and they give them a premise and the judges sort of say, yep, today you're going to make a, an 18-inch Bowie knife. So these sweaty men, because most of them are sweaty men with beards, of blacksmiths get together and they have a little bit of time to design and then they make their blade and then they forge it. But everything they talk about is just badly veiled innuendos. So they'll be sitting there going, well, I'm pretty impressed with my weapon. And then the judge will go, well, I like the girth, but I'm not sure about the length. And, you know, and one of them, after they finish making each stage, one gets eliminated until there's only like two guys left and they've got completely finished so knives. Blacksmithing so, a knife. Pretty Is much. That what they're doing? So, that, yeah, they start off with forging the blade itself and then they eliminate someone after that round. And then they put a handle on it and a hilt and, you know, they sharpen it up and eventually they. I almost said whittle it down, but then that would be a bad pun. But they kind of narrow it down till there's only two people. And then they actually do physical tests with the knife. And they have like 10-gallon drums where they stab the knife and see how much you know, penetration they get with their weapons and stuff. <laughs> and I, my wife and I were just in fits of giggles watching this because mm. we were like, you know, this is just – well, surely they know what they're saying. They don't, you know, intentionally mean mm. that they're, they're making all these references. But, yeah, there was one dude who had a lot of thrust, but he wasn't very good with the penetration <laughs> with his knife, so he got eliminated. But after that, we decided that we didn't really like the forging show, so we went back to watching the Bill Goldberg-hosted Knife or Death. Is Goldberg hosted both, doesn't he? No. Oh, so okay. Goldberg didn't host the first. They have just four very nerdy-looking okay. hipster knife guys mm-hmm. hosting other dudes that are mainly white, yes. mainly in their 40s, mainly with beards, most of them overweight, a couple of them wearing utility kilts. I was going to ask you, utility kilts. <laughs> so, yeah, so they were all making their knives. But then the flip side of this is Knife or Death, which is the one that Bill Goldberg hosts that we mentioned briefly earlier. Mm. But I have now sat down and over the course of about a week watched two full seasons. How? Why? Well, I've got two full episodes and it's like, yeah, I've seen enough. Well, initially I showed my wife and she was like, you know you're going to get me hooked on this watching this. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So we I watched mean, a couple. Competence guys wielding around a deadly weapon is funny. Well, yeah. But it's the same shit. It is the same shit. But you then, kill kicking down those, you know, But they don't fencing. really kick the fence until season two. Oh. In the first season, they gently push the fence. <laughs> but some of the people have absolutely no idea. Some of them are making their own knives and they're just absolute, you know, complete professional wielders of knives and they know exactly what they're doing. But then you get the other people that look like they live in their mum's basement and they're wearing their famous kilt and they've got the, there's one dude with a kilt, like GP boots, like army boots, ponytail and an undercut, wearing a black t-shirt with the tuxedo printed on the front of it. And he was wielding like a two-handed bastard sword. And by the end of it, he looked like he was about to keel over. But in one of the other episodes, they did actually have an older dude and he needed to stop and the medics came out and took him out in an ambulance before the end of the episode. 
But yeah, it, it was one of those things where we just got hooked. And then my eight-year-old started watching it with us because we were like, well, I guess unless he's going out in the back and you know throwing the kitchen knives around trying to cut fish apart, he's not too badly influenced by this. But every time the, the start happens and the opening credits, there's a dude kicking the fence. Yeah. And for the first couple of episodes, I would go, take that fence. And then by about fourth episode, before I even had a chance to say it, my little eight-year-old was sitting there going, take that fence, every time they kicked the fence. <laughs> yeah, so that's my bad reality TV for this month. Yeah, and, and it I, is bad. I have now watched both seasons that are available on Foxtel. And yeah, they are a little bit samey, but I guess by the time you get to the end of it, it's kind of like, well, like We used minutes. to watch Deadliest Warrior. Yeah. Now that was... You know, who would win the fight between a cowboy and a samurai? And they would go in and use the weapons of the, the specialists. And these people were experts in their field, apparently. Yeah. So you're seeing an expert samurai sword wielder. That's fine. You want to see them use it. You know, these people are the best of the best, allegedly. These are amateur dickheads yeah. who don't know what the fuck they're doing. And it's like, so you're not watching the best of the best. If, if I mean, the guy who... They had to get the paramedics out to make sure he was going to survive. And then he was like, oh, you're a bit tired here. You're yeah. going to have a heart attack. No, you can finish. That was funny. But <laughs> they're not good. I mean, no. this is a great... They might have built a perfect sword, but you wouldn't know because they're shit. Hmm. And you're watching them. So the awkwardness is kind of fun, but a half-hour show, it's just... I don't know how you did it. Well, there yeah. is actually, in, apparently in America, there is competition chopping. So there's a bunch of people that have these kind of knives that look like smaller cleavers and they are professional circuit. They go around and they do these like knife games where they chop balls coming out of shoots and stuff. So there was a lot of those type people that did quite well on Knife or Death. Yeah, that makes sense. But then there's also the people that are LARPers that have their broadsword and you know, want to have a bit of fun. And there was actually a couple of people. There's one of the stages where you have to chop through a, a three foot thick piece of ice to expose a, a pipe in the middle that's got red liquid to simulate blood. Yeah. And this one dude snapped his sword in half when he was doing it. And it was like, well... That didn't pass yeah. the cut. Well, there is a dude, as you mentioned, the, the passing of the cut. There's a dude that apparently was one of the champions from Forged in Fire that made his own knife and won Grand Champion. And he's the, the tester that has a look at the knives and make sure that they're safe enough for them to, to go in the competition. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of episodes, we were like, he is just the nicest man in the world. Yes. And he is so enthusiastic for everybody. And we're like, oh, he's never going to not let someone go through. But then a couple of episodes, he he did. There was one guy that had ordered this knife from the Philippines for, via eBay or something. And he just looked at the knife and went, well, this is a badly made knife and it, I can't let you go on there because it will break sort of thing. That and was public service saying don't order for the Philippines. Well, speaking of something like that, yeah. my son was sort of getting into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and he asked about certain things. He asked about weapons. It's like yeah. a sigh and a this and a that. And so, okay, I'll, and I, I, I go, I'll find a thing on YouTube and show you what the weapons are. Because the size are hard one to explain. Sword makes sense, you know. Yep. Nunchucks, maybe. So there was this dude on YouTube who goes, I'm going to go through, and I think he did something with Power Rangers at once before, but he's like, so he went online and goes, I'm going to do the Ninja Turtle weapons. So he goes online, he eBays, and he finds all the weapons. So he goes, all right. So he started with Nunchucks, and he ordered them from there, and he got them. And he knew what he could do. You could watch him use the technique. He's, he's, he, he knows his way around a weapon. <laughs> Not he's thrusting, yeah. yeah. And he's using them on, like, watermelons and things like that. So he did that, and he ordered, oh, here's one, 20 bucks, and this and that, so we'll bring it back. And he goes, the size have got heft and that, and he's stabbing watermelons. They're really good. The nunchucks bust them open or whatever. And then he got a, a staff, and it broke. Like, okay. it hit whatever it hit, and it, it snapped in half. And he goes, yeah, don't. That, that's not a good one. 
<laughs> but yeah, it was just kind of weird. It's like, okay. Hmm. Yeah. But I thought the show, you'd have to make your own weapon. That That's what I thought you'd have well, to do. Ordering it from the Philippines is not part of the show. You are coming up with this whatever blade that you've come up with. People are making like knives, people are making broadswords, people are making machetes. Yeah. Whatever. But yeah, you should make your own. That should be part of the show. The people that had made their own knives seemed to have done better, but there was a couple of people that had bought their knives and they were like, well, yeah, I don't really know the history of this knife or what sort of tensile steel or all that sort of stuff. And a lot of them didn't do very well because they thought their knives were sharp until they got on there and realised they couldn't cut through bamboo and boxes and Mm. assorted shit. You think you'd get to that point? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. that's a lot of talking about Fortune Fire. Yes, probably more than it warranted. Mm. Mm. But I do have a couple of other things I've watched before I let you jump back into things. Something that I'm surprised you haven't watched yet, and that is the latest season of Black Mirror. Because I'm two seasons behind on Black Mirror, or three. Well, the latest season featured an episode with Miley yes, Cyrus. Yes, yes, I know of, and I, yes. Well, this one is only three episodes. I don't know if there is more coming, but they've only dropped three to start well, with. I'm happy if that's all they've got, just do three. Hmm. Don't try and force an episode out because it's a hard show to do because they are trying to do, you know, very particular things yep. and try and tell stories that do. They're trying to swerve you in a way. We're trying to just talk. The idea is it's it's we're just five minutes in the future. This is just, yep. this is potentially, my, my, you know, it's not formulaic. But the formula is this is just There's technology sort of just talent. sort of yeah. around the corner and how will that fuck you up? Yeah. You know, that's sort of the formula, if anything. But don't force out shit episodes if you don't have them. So if it's three, it's three. Yeah, and they're all sort of hour-long episodes. The first one has a bit of star power behind it because Anthony Mackie's in it. Yeah. And he plays like a dude who's kind of lost touch with his old college roommate sort of thing, and then they get together again playing the latest version of a sort of fighting video game, kind mm-hmm. of like Street Fighter, which comes around virtual reality. And without going any spoilers, I won't go any further into it, but it okay. is quite an interesting concept, and you don't really imagine where it's going to go when it does, which is kind of good. The second episode, I can't think of the dude's name, but he's the guy that played Moriarty in the Benedict Cumberbatch, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. Redhead. No, no. sort of dark head. Oh, the, oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, Irish, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I think. the Robert Downey one. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. I know yeah, so yep. it, it revolves around him and this company called Smithereen, which is kind of like a Facebook, Spotify, all rolled into one. And he kidnaps one of their employees to try and speak to the CEO because he wants to get something off his chest. And again, that is really well acted. And a bit of a slow burn, because at the start I was like, well, where are they going with this? Mm. And then by the time we get to the end, it really grabs you. Okay. And then the final of this season so far is the Miley Cyrus episode, yep. where she plays a musician, singer, who's been kind of manipulated by her auntie, who's her manager. Mm. And she falls into a coma and they try and sort of keep putting her records out even though she's not able to make records and she's got this sort of virtual reality doll sort of thing that she markets to her fans and her conscious ends up being in this doll while she's in the coma it sounds quite bad but the music in it is really good because she actually sings like a pop version of Nine Inch Nails Head Like a Hole with different lyrics. Mm. But when you, when it starts, the way she's singing and some of the words, I'm like, this song sounds really familiar, but I can't put my finger on it. But then you realise that it's actually Head Like a Hole and she's kind of homogenised it to be a nice song. Mm. Yeah. But like, I'm not a huge Miley fan. I know you are. 
But yes, you. she acts really well in this. You didn't watch Hannah Montana, she can act. Uh, well, yeah, I didn't watch Hannah Montana. Hannah Montana on the movie. Mm. No, I didn't. But yeah, I would recommend that. Yeah. Cool. But other than that, my only other TV watching is I've been watching a bit of MASH because we were yearning for some old-fashioned sitcoms. And after going through you a couple have of Amazon episodes... Prime, so you can't watch Gidget. No. Mm. After going through a couple of episodes of Are You Being Served, we decided that MASH might be a better idea. I love Are You Being Served. So we actually started on season five of MASH where BJ first comes in. Because mm-hmm. my wife is a big MASH fan and she thinks BJ is better than Trapper. Trapper. I hated BJ. I, I see, I don't really know. I, I only really when Charles remember. Emerson Winchester comes in, that's fine. But Frank well, he Burns hasn't come Frank in yet. Too. It's still Frank. Mm. But yeah, and Colonel Potter's just come in in season five as well. So okay. we're probably about halfway through season five watching an episode a night. But, mm. yeah. but yes, I'll let Is you. Mark Hamill yet? No, Larry Wilcox was in one episode. Okay. And there was an MP in another episode that was trying to get uh, Frank Burns to stop stealing priceless Korean artifacts. And that was played by Brian Dennehy, mm-hmm. a very young Brian Dennehy. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the one episode I always remember, and someone brought it up the other day on Twitter, and it was the learning about Father McKay doing a tracheotomy with a pen. Yeah, actually, that, we <laughs> watched that episode the other day. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's the one I remember. I don't That's know. It's the one I remember the most as well. Yeah. And the other episode where BJ first comes in and trips over in the mud. I don't remember that. No. I remember the one where he gets a, gets a letter from Peggy and it's cookies in the, <laughs> and he shakes the envelope and it's like cookies. And there's one where he gets angry because he wants to go home and he misses his family. Angry BJ. Yeah. And it's like, I don't care about BJ. Yes. Anyway, that's my TV. I'll let you finish up your well, last I've got couple one more list. thing. I actually watched a full series of something, which is Netflix and it was only five episodes. And it's When They See Us. It's a dramatisation of the Central Park Five. Okay. Which I know really knew nothing about. I just knew it was a bunch of people who were mischarged. You're wrongfully accused. Wrongfully accused, that's one. Or wrongfully charged. Wrongfully charged, exactly. Yep. Yeah, so it was a bunch of um, African-American kids were mucking around in Central Park in about 1989. Boom. Play the music from Public Enemy. Anyway, <laughs> I, was in the, I was in the show. But yeah, so, and a girl ended up being raped and murdered that night. And sort of the cops sort of got in there and they went and figured out who the kids were because of the. We're talking hundreds of kids or, you know, know, around about that number, mucking around, just harassing people, doing different things like that. And yeah, so they're just sort of. This is a white girl got got raped and murdered, so we've got to figure out who did it quickly. So they just wanted to charge it. And it was sort of the early days of the. Special crimes unit or whatever they call it, um, but it was sort of like we need to get someone quick and do it. It was one of those kids, and they just sort of basically leaned hard on these poor kids. Okay, and they some of them dobbed in the others because it's like you want to go home, you got to do this. It's a bit like making a murderer. You know? yep. it's like if you want to go home, you got to tell us to sign it, just write this, and a few okay. of them got done. So I couldn't work out who knew each other and this and that, but it was it was kind of cool. It wasn't what I was expecting. In the end, like it was four or five parts, I can't remember now. But I watched the first two, and they were pretty quick. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll watch the third one. It got very late night in the end, because the third one was just a really long episode. Okay. And then um, the last episode, I was like, I'll do it tomorrow. And that was, like, again, and a little bit over the hour. So it was quite long, even though it was four. And it was, oh, it's not Catherine DuVernay, but the director of it is she's an African-American woman. And she's also directing, she's going to direct the New Gods movie for DC or okay. Warner Brothers. So I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, so the first episode is sort of about the, the assault. Well, you don't see it. You just see the arrests of these kids and the inter- interrogations and all this sort of stuff. The second one sort of builds on the trial. I thought it was going to be this big trial sort of thing. But the trial sort of happens in the second episode and they all go to jail. Then the third episode, you sort of see them get out of jail and sort of them getting their life. You know, they've been in there 12, 14 years or whatever it was. Okay. You know. They got done. Yep. And there's a few of them got out and this and that. It's like, oh, this is strange. I, I was waiting for the big, oh, we found out who did it. 
they all got out for free and how did they find it and did the, the Innocence Project and this and that. And it was like, no, they just sort of got out and they did their time. Yeah, I don't think they have actually determined. Oh, that, no, they have. They? No, no, oh, okay. no, they have. And then the last episode, you sort of follow one of the guys and he's – Stint in prison, mm. and from that you sort of get the the conclusion or the closure at the end of okay. everything. And you go, it's harrowing and it's sad. Like in the same way, watching Making Murder as a doco, going, this is not right. Yeah, you're watching this, and this one you're watching, guy, it, because it's dramatized. You know, it's real. They didn't do it. You saw the cops being assholes to them, so you're yep. going, well, I know you're not right, but it's not as uplifting as you want it to be because they didn't really. I mean, they got spoilers. There's justice at the end, but financially. Not okay. the 12, 14 years that they spent in jail. Yeah. You know, financially they're doing okay now. But, yeah. you know, it's sort of like it's just a... Yeah, I, I don't really know a lot about the season, the story, but I think Oprah Winfrey had a lot to do with starting off the investigation to find that they weren't Never talked about all that people. sort of stuff. Okay. Well, I, I don't know if this was one of the reasons they made it or not, because with Central Park 5 they were showing a lot of footage of Trump. Yeah. Because at the time he's saying, oh, we should bring back the death penalty. Exactly. And he actually put a $80,000 advertising in the Wall Street Journal or New York Post or whatever it is to bring back the death penalty for these kids. Yeah. You know, the black kids who hurt this white blonde woman, mm. we should really bring back the death penalty for them. And yeah. he was a big advocate for this at the time. He had no opinion. And it was like, this is a very political comment against Trump now. Yeah. Like, yes, it's a very poignant Compared story. Compared to some of the other stuff that's come out recently about Trump. Yeah, this but it's nothing. Like, <laughs> no, but it was it's like, this is symbolic of him. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's sort of like, it's so you're just run your mouth at the populist sort of thing. Where you are, you're in, ill-informed... You're throwing your money in your mouth at something that you don't really know what you're doing. Yep. Anyway, that was fascinating. It's not a great watch as far as it's not uplifting. Mm. Not not what I was hoping. It, it's it's in that making of a murderous sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it was it was fine. It was okay. It was good. It was alright. But yeah. So how about we go on to movies because a lot of it was Netflix stuff in here. So yep. we sort of stick with the Netflix. Well, there's a couple of things that we've both watched on Netflix. I think. Well, definitely one. Yes. And I think we had difference of opinion of it, yes. and that is The Room of the World. Mm-hmm. Now, I went into it thinking, based on a couple of people's recommendations, that it was going to be like a fun sort of Goonies kind of romp, almost a kid's movie. Yeah. I came away from it thinking that it definitely wasn't a kid's movie, but... Well, when you say kids... Well, they're teenagers. Yes. So I think maybe it was aimed at that. I think it's a teen Teen film. movies. Mm. I didn't think the effects were very good, and that's probably a polite way to say it. Uh, I don't know which well, the alien, alien look fine. All right, the premise of this film, these four kids, well, three kids go to a summer camp, Yep. and they meet up with another kid, and while they sort of meet up with that, an alien invasion attacks Earth, while yes. they're in LA. Yeah. And they meet an astronaut who comes down with the solution, and they give her a key. It's like a USB stick or something. Yep, that they have to get to the Jet Propulsion Laboratories. And it's a road movie, in a sense. Or they, it's a, you know, race against time. It's quite quick-paced, and they're being chased by this alien yep. that's sort of after them, and they're going, and... It's an hour and a half movie, and they have, like, 76 miles, and they manage to do it in, like, a blink of an eye, and they don't even look tired. That was one of the issues I had with it. Oh, didn't have an issue. <laughs> it's not like they said, this took no time. It's just no. They're in... Yeah. But um, I thought the effects were good. It's directed well. It's directed by Mick G, who did Charlie's Angels movies. Yeah. Maybe that's um, another reason I didn't like it. Maybe. I, um, I thought it was fine. I, and it was, it was, if I was 13 or 14, I probably would love the pants off it. But it's, it's it's nothing special. It's not. But there aren't many movies like this, I think. No, not that I don't I'm think so. Not that I'm a 13-year-old boy anymore, but I don't know what movies are out there. You either have kids' films or you have 
Adult film. Yeah. There's, I don't know what the middle films are. I'm no. not looking for them, admittedly, because hmm. I watched Power Pump the volume maybe? again. No, that's sort of everybody. That's nostalgia for other people, and it's a kid's hmm. film in a sense where, you know, there's swearing, quite a bit of swearing in it. Yeah. And there's adult themes. Not When I say adult, as in mature, you know. Yeah. You know, there's one kid prignoting about having sex and all this sort of stuff, and yeah. it was all foolish crap. You know? I, there but was a lot of shitty innuendo at the yeah. start of the film where the attractive camp counsellor was telling the, the young black kid to put his phone in the box, and she was like, put it in my box. Yeah. And he's like, you what? Right here in front of everyone else sort of thing. I thought that was a bit hand that's, that's why I say for 14, 15-year-old people, I think. But I thought some of the effects weren't great. Like the first bit where the aliens first turn up, it was almost as bad as Birdemic as far as the CGI was. I disagree. Oh, bits of it okay. were shitty. I, I really had a problem with the whole Adidas sponsorship when they went to the mall and they got their new clothes. You're going to pay for movies somehow. I, I did like the fact that when they got the car, they couldn't drive a, a manual, so the girl had to drive the car because she was the only one that drove the manual. And as soon as they got in the car, they put NWA on and they were driving this classic yes. car. How good was that? I thought that was probably the best yeah. bit of the movie. As far as just premise, yes, it was full of holes. Yes, I kind of enjoyed bits of it, but I, for me, I think the negatives were more than the positives. I mean, it, it's kind of forgetful. Oh, definitely. But it's not bad. Like, I don't, I don't know yeah. that. It, it doesn't matter. As I, I come away going, it doesn't matter. I just found it too stereotypical. It was kind of like the the girl was the Asian girl that they didn't think she spoke English and she didn't speak for the first 20 minutes of the movie. And then when she did speak, it was like, well, of course I can speak. I just didn't want to say anything. Yeah, but so. she didn't. She wasn't wrong to her character. She stayed to her character the yeah. whole time. She just didn't want to talk. Yeah. It's not like in the end it's like, oh, and she to- spoke only at the end because she had to or yeah. this and that. She made the nice. She made, the first time she spoke, it was a sweet moment when they're sharing a bed with the boy, the nice guy. I and think it's like, she spoke before that, didn't she? Oh, not much. Oh, yeah. It's like I'm glad it was you. It's was, it was a sweet Actually, moment. I've just remembered another scene that I did think was actually good mm. was when the nerdy kid didn't know how to ride a bike and they were teaching him how to ride a bike. I thought that scene was really <laughs> well done. Because he crashed. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. because he crashed. But, yeah. It's just, that's a kid's moments. They're, these are, yes, the, forget this alien invasion stuff. It's these very child moments. Yeah. That are, that are kind of cool and it just kind of works. Like I said, it's not perfect. I'm not saying this is an important movie that kids should watch. I just think it did okay. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right, we'll yeah. give it that. Yeah. Right. What else did we watch? All right, well, you go. I think that's the only one we both watched. I Speaking of Netflix movies, I watched another one called I Am Mother. I saw the trailer for that. When I watched um, Room of the World, they did an ad for that. I, I think Mother. that's probably why we watched it, because we saw the trailer at the end of Room of the World. Mm. Again, the trailer makes it look quite good. Really? Well, well, the first half of the trailer, I go, this looks interesting. By the end of the trailer, it's like, I'm bored already. Yeah, and the movie itself is a bit like that. It's basically a young girl and a robot in a space station talking about how the outside world is corrupted and poisoned and stuff. And then Hilary Swank turns up and they bring her in from the outside and it's kind of like, well, do we trust her? Do we not trust her? Where does she fit in? Is the robot good? Is the robot bad? But in the end, it kind of didn't go where you thought it should go and it took a long time to get nowhere. Mm-hmm. But That's what the trailer looked like. Yeah. I thought the girl that was acting as the young girl, she was quite good in her acting. I thought the robot was very well done because mm-hmm. I think it was actually a dude in a suit rather than being CGI. Cool. Voiced by Rose Byrne. Oh, cool. Hmm. But yeah, it was, again, the trailer made it look better than it was, I think. Well, I gave up on the trailer. Yeah. Like uh, the trailer made me go, yeah, nah. Again, it yeah. just had so many holes at the end of the movie where we sat there and went, well, why did that do that? And if that was really the case, wouldn't this work? And it just, yeah, too much 
Too many questions at the end. Fair enough. Well, continuing on the Netflix theme. Okay. I was at a friend's the other day and we're watching movies and we were going to watch, we're going through a bit of a Keanu thing at the moment. We're having conversation, you know, text conversations with Keanu gifts. So it's like, I did one with Point Break and she's like, I haven't seen Point Break. It's like, then when I went over, it's like, you didn't bring Point Break. It's like, I don't own Point Break. I was going to buy it, like just, you know, rent off a streaming service. Mm. It's something like $20 or Fifteen dollars to rent it. Yeah, it's not worth it. And then I looked at the JB website. It's six dollars on Blu-ray. Yeah, it's cheaper to buy a physical copy than it is to rent the thing. So it's like we'll just rent it another. I'll buy it another time. It's cheaper. So he just went on, typed in Keanu into the Netflix and had a look, and he turned up in a movie called Bad Batch. Very artistic. It looks nice, but it's filmed in a desert, so it's just open up the field of vision, and your blues and your golds just pop. You got Jason Momoa with no help on for the whole movie. And it starts off with a girl being sort of like she's been let out of prison, but she's being led into the wastelands called the Bad Badlands, or and she's a bad batch. She's been tattered with BB and a number, and she's off into the desert. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of going along and walking, and that's fine. Then she gets run down by people in a golf cart or something. And then she wakes up. She's chained to the in a shanty town made up of like shipping containers and aeroplane graveyard kind of thing. Okay. Then they inject her with stuff in her arm and then they chop her arm and her leg off. As you do. Well, you got to eat. Okay. So there's all these people trained missing body parts. She ends up escaping from there. She gets, it's obviously the only product placement in this post-apocalyptic movie is vans. <laughs> so there's vans clothes in there quite a bit and people skateboarding. But okay. yeah, so there's vans. So she gets a skateboard and she's pushing herself along on this skateboard because she's only got the one leg. And she ends up going to a place called Comfort. Which was a town, like part of town, I guess, but, mm. you know, um, in Mad Max. And he sort of <laughs> works towards her revenge and she gets a revenge, but it's just very pretty in a way. It's like it's a nice, like the cinematography is very nice in that. Yeah. But it just explores this world. Like you don't know what the Badlands is. Like, is there a society the other side? This is where they send the criminals. I don't know mm. these towns. But Keanu turns up looking like Pablo Escobar. He's got the moustache and the hair and he sort of runs comfort by giving a lot of people drugs and keeping them happy and all this sort of shit. And a lot of people have pet rabbits and that because rabbits are a good source of food because they procreate so yep. much. So, and there's my friend was saying, he's like, but you got to feed them. It's like, yeah, but that's just like that. So it's, just, it's weird. Okay. Like it was okay. It was pretty. It doesn't matter. Like it's not important. If you like Jason Momoa with no top on for most of the movie, fine. You know, it's, it's okay. You know, it, it, it is what it is. We, little, we got our little bit of Danano, so that was all kind of cool. <laughs> but I was joking because I was watching and I said, said to my friend, I was like, it's like Tank Girl, but we pump up the volume soundtrack. <laughs> and she goes, I've got both of those. <laughs> so we nearly watched both that night. It was already getting pretty late. So we ended up watching Pump Up the Volume again. <laughs> Afterwards, so yeah, so yeah, so that is the Bad Batch on on Netflix. Can't okay. say I'd recommend it. It's just yeah, it's interesting. Okay, and I'm glad these movies exist though. If yep. we got all Avengers, I'd be bored. Yeah, so the fact that these exist, there is a market, and there's someone out there who'll love it. So I'm glad that at least Netflix is giving a a place for these sort of films. Okay, yeah. Another thing, keeping on that Keanu ticket, there yep. I've caught up with John Wick Two, which is a sequel to John Wick. So did he buy another dog? He has another dog, yes. Ah. yes. I still haven't watched either of the John Wicks. Any. The third one is now it's out. out? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's why so, I'm sort of trying to catch up because I, I could hopefully see it. Yeah. Maybe tomorrow. Who knows? But yeah, so um, first one's great. Second one's cool. But it's not the shock that the first one was. I was like, what is this? It's like when Taken came out, you know? It's like yeah. Taken just blew everyone and going, Liam Neeson is a tough guy? Yeah. It's like, that, now he's just playing that every role. Yeah. I think people know that Keanu's a tough guy, don't they? Oh, he, he, in the Matrix, the Matrix, he's kind of tough. 
point break, yeah. he's fine. You know, yeah. he's, he's Keanu, but this is awesome. Like okay. just because I've heard the people of like SEALs and that have watched this, Navy SEALs, and they go, everything he's doing is right. He's checking the shaft, you know, <laughs> of the gun. Like the way he reloads guns, everything yeah. he's doing, the techniques he's using is professional. Okay. It's not. Hollywood version. Yeah. Now, the first one, because it was directed by, I forget who, but I think people did it with The Raid, or maybe that's the second one. Yeah. But all these stunt guys have made a movie, essentially. So yeah. It's like, this is a stuntman's movie. As, how would you do it? You know, this yeah. is a fight scene we'd like to do. Let's, and a nice little simple, solid story around it. And, you know, the hype man behind John Wick, they talk him up. You know, he's this retired hitman, I suppose you'd call him. Mm. He's just uber the best guy, you know, because when they said, you just stole John Wick's car. Do you realise who John Wick is? And they'll tell you how fucking good okay. he is. So the build-up of it is, fuck, you mm. fucked over John Wick. You're, you're fucked. Why? John Wick's the boogeyman. You know, he's you know Baba Yaga. He's the boogeyman. You're, you're fucked. Mm. So, and it, just the way you execute. And they talk him up. So it's the hype man beforehand, before you get to see it. And it's like, oh, wow, he's pretty kick-ass. And then you do see him kick-ass and you go, yeah, he's pretty fucking kick-ass. Because mm. they talk it up in the first one saying, you know, he killed four people in the thing with a pencil. In John Wick 2, you get to see what he can do with a pencil. Nice. And it's in the first one. I mean, there's a great meme out there. Someone did a cartoon. I was like, there's Thanos. He's beaten everybody. And they go, oh, there's one more Infinity Stone. Where is it? Inside this dog. And then it opens <laughs> up. And it's like, that's John Wick's dog. And then Thanos is like, fuck. <laughs> you know? That's kind of cool. Yeah, so John Wick 2, done. It's not as good as the first one because the shock of how cool it was is gone. Yep. You sort of know how good it is. and But still, really cool fight scenes, really good okay. action. The plot itself is a bit like, okay, yeah, whatever. So. I'm keen for the third one. Mm. I've seen them both on the TV. It's it's fine. Like, yep. Do I need to see it on the big screen? Probably not. No. It doesn't matter. But, yeah, it, it's fun. It's good, fun action films. Okay. And have you had any trips to the actual cinema? One. Okay. Yes. That's my notes. Yes. Definitely one. That's it. Yeah. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which I chose to see over John Wick 3 because it's not like, if we're going to see one on the big screen, I want it to be Godzilla because I want the biggest screen possible. And I went to Melbourne Central to see it. It wasn't that big a screen. That's a shame. Because a lot of the cinemas now, they want more cinemas, less size. Yeah. So they're a bit smaller. So I was like, yeah, it's all right. It's fine, I guess. And it was kind of disappointing. Like, I'm hearing good things about this movie. It's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Now, I don't know what your opinion of Godzilla is, how much you've seen, what do you know? I haven't seen enough. I haven't seen any of the American Godzillas. I've only seen the Japanese ones. All right. So that's a probably better reference. The one with Don Fry in. Yes. That's Godzilla 2000 or whatever it was called. Yeah. But yeah, I haven't seen the Matthew Broderick one or I haven't seen the latest one. Now, see, I've got mates over in Perth and he's a big kaiju fan. Like he loves all that sort of stuff. So I tried to get into it because of that. It's like, well, why is this so cool? Let's see. If it, and it's kind of hipster cool, or it was 20 years ago when I tried this. So I'm watching these, you know, and they were, and they were, you could get them on VHS at the shops for like $3 or $4. Yeah. You know, they were cheap. So I'd buy these really dodgy VHS. They were legit whatever, but the quality was terrible. And they were like 60s and 70s Godzilla films. And they were shit. Like, I, I couldn't really get it. I love the design. The monsters fighting is kind of cool. But to pad out these 90-minute movies, essentially, you got all these human stories that are just a bunch of people talking. You know, the action is the monsters, everything else. They might, in you know, create spaceships or jets fighting at them and try and take them down. But it's all about the monsters. And I, I just, I, I love the culture behind it. But it, I just couldn't really go, these are the greatest things ever. Like, I, I love the idea. Yep. So I did that. And then they bought out... There's a movie called Gamera, yep. Guardian of the Earth or Universe or something like that. Yep. That was from mid-90s. 
And that is fucking awesome. That's what, if you want to know what a giant monster movie could be, it's that. Okay. It's like, you know, he's a giant space turtle, friend of all children. But that's what he was in the 60s. This is the 90s version. It was a bit more dark and gritty. But it was really, really cool. Like, this turtle comes in and fucking fucks shit up. It's awesome. <laughs> and watch that movie. That That is fucking great. I love it. They did three, I think. Okay. And the second one was cool because they did, like, the... They escalated. Like, he's got these powers. You can. He's got the atomic breath a bit like Godzilla. But then the second one is like, you got more powers? Fuck yeah, bring it on. Like, <laughs> so anyway, but the third one just didn't quite do it as well. But it was cool. I mean, now I, I haven't watched it for a long time. I'm sure the special effects, which was early CGI, probably don't hold up. Mm. But still a great movie. Then I watched the American Godzilla, the first one, or the Matthew Broderick Roland yep. and Emmerich one. And... I was on TV not that long ago in the last two years or so and I sort of caught a bit of it. And it's not a great movie, but it did feel big. Like it felt like a spectacle. Yeah. Like it's just unfortunately the plot and all this. It's got Jean Reno in it. That's pretty cool. But they tried to explain, and this is what I've learned with the Godzilla movies, the more you explain it, the more it falls apart. Yeah. In the Japanese movie, it just is. Like in the first Godzilla film, it's an analogy of the atomic bomb. Godzilla is the atomic bomb destroying Tokyo. You know, destroying Japan. And it goes on for more. Apparently, there was a Japanese Godzilla film called Shin Godzilla a few years ago. And that's a bit more of an analogy of the, um, speaking of Chernobyl, but the um, Tokyo nuclear power station earthquake issue. It's sort of like the, don't fuck with this shit. You know, it's dangerous. It will fuck us up. So apparently, that's really, really good. So maybe that's the one I should watch, if any. So, So, okay. So they did that. So I didn't mind the Godzilla film, the, the Matthew Broderick one. It was, like I said, it was a spectacle. It was big. They explained too much. Post-Jurassic Park, they sort of had little Godzillas in there, you know, because it, it was it gave birth because it was a giant mutated iguana. I was like, eh, just don't explain it, you know, because you didn't have the atomic breath or anything. It was all very, how can we make this scientifically work hmm. to a point? Okay. But it was like, it, it was what it was. And it was also the first date I, I took my wife out on. So there's history there. Then they did the recent Godzilla film, the first one to this. I loved what they did with Godzilla. But it had sort of a Japanese element of there's a human story here. Yeah. And I don't care. Like, I want to see fucking Godzilla. And there's a point where Godzilla's about to fight what they call a Muto in this one. And it cuts away. They're about to fucking fight and it cuts away. It's like, I paid a fucking ticket to see a movie called Godzilla and you've just taken Godzilla out of it. Yeah. What the fuck are you doing? But there's great elements of it because Godzilla's huge. Like, it's massive and the scale's good in and directed nicely. It's just, just dull. That's and true. that's the thing. And I, I did love because it's sort of like he's there and the ships, like American naval ships sort of with it. And Godzilla doesn't give a fuck. He's just he's just walking to going to get, take this Muto out. It doesn't care what's around it. If there's buildings in the way, I'm going to take it down. It doesn't matter. Like he, he's got a job and that's to kill this other monster and that's it. He doesn't care what's in the way. And I love it because it, we are a parasite. Yeah. We are irrelevant to, and that's what Godzilla is. That element worked really well. It's just the storyline, sorry, side of it just sort of falls over. And it's a bit, maybe he's trying to be wanky, and it's a bit like the War of the Worlds book where you've got the characters sort of shit happening and he's the narration of it because you've got the guy who played Quicksilver in the Avengers movies. He's He started in Hawaii, and that's when Godzilla attacked there first, and then he goes over to America and he's trying to get to his wife in San Francisco, and he seems to be following Godzilla everywhere. So I don't care about this guy. Stop following and it just happens to be everywhere he's at. Godzilla seems to be. It's sort of like, mm. just with you. So anyway, that was that one. This one, new director. It's King of All Monsters, so there's a fucking shitload of monsters in it. Great. He fights all these monsters. 
cool. You got Mothra, you got Rodan, King Ghidorah. It's all that sort of shit. So yeah. it's cool. But like I said, the more you explain it, the less, less interesting yeah. it becomes. And it was just like, uh, you could have done with a lot about that. The other thing I like, I mean, it was it was okay. I'm not going to recommend. I can't. Like, it's fine. But this is part three in a sort of shared universe movie because it's the other one that's joined in is Kong of Skull Island. Yeah. Which is fucking great. Yeah. I love it. We're going to get a crossover movie, aren't we? Yeah. So it's all part of Monarch, which is in that movie. There's people fighting all this sort of stuff. So it's talking about all the different beasts that are around, and, and Kong is one of them. So we don't really get a Kong in this. There's references to Kong in there, but we don't see a Kong. Because I. Serious, that as, as awesome as that movie is, if you're going to watch any of them, watch that Kong movie. Skull yeah. Island is great. I don't see Kong stepping up and having anything to do with Godzilla. They just the scales are all wrong, and mm. he's just a giant okay. gorilla. He doesn't have atomic breath or anything. He can't fight him. But who knows what they're going to do? But yeah, <laughs> so so that was my adventure in the cinemas. But yeah, probably should have gone John Wick three in the end because oh. it just didn't do enough for me. So maybe I need to go and make the time to watch Shin Godzilla. Maybe mm. sounds good. All right, but I've got. Two more movies I watched at home that I mentioned before I talk about my cinema trip. Mm. But my eight-year-old somehow has got in his head that he wanted to watch Ghostbusters. I think it was because the kids at school go around singing Ghostbusters. And of course they do. Yeah, I don't know what it is. But we sort of sat, my wife and I sat down and went, well, is there anything really bad in Ghostbusters? That, Ghost blowjob. Well, yeah. <laughs> he didn't really understand that bit. But we thought it's not that scary and it's not that adult other than Venkman and his adult humour. But we actually sat down and watched it, and my son was absolutely enthralled with it. And I haven't probably watched it for a good 10, 15 years, Mm -hmm. but I still almost remembered it word for word. So I think I must have watched it a lot back in the day. Up. (laughs) Up. But even from the very start when Vigman's talking and he did that back off man, I'm a scientist line, I was like, yep, I'm going to really enjoy this. And my son enjoyed it too. So that was good. Is he scared by the librarian's ghost? Well, I'd said to him, I was like, the bit in the library is a little bit scary. And then when it happened, he was like, "Mm, wasn't that scary? Yeah. But he was quite excited when Slimer came up because he obviously knew who Slimer was for some Mm -hmm. reason. I think maybe he's seen a couple of the episodes of the cartoons. Okay. But yeah, he was like, when's Slimer? Oh, there he is. Yeah, so, he's so, gone. Yeah. yeah. He, he didn't chuckle at my favourite line, which is when Peck comes in there and... This man go, has no dick. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't get a laugh out of that, but I don't know why. I did. <laughs> but yeah. And my other movie I watched at home, and speaking of movies that I didn't know a lot about, but I was pleasantly surprised... And that's a, a movie called Escape Room. Mm-hmm. I'd seen a couple of trailers earlier in the year and I didn't really think anything of it. But after watching it now, I really enjoyed it. I thought the concept was quite good. It was a kind of an escape room, only it became reality. And a bunch of people that were in there were getting killed off. It was kind of almost a horror movie, almost a thriller. Mm-hmm. Probably more of a thriller because there wasn't that much gore in it. No real big name stars. But yeah, I would recommend it okay. without giving too much away because it is a little bit spoilery. I was probably a little bit underwhelmed with the ending, but other than that, I really liked it. Okay. But the movie I will have absolutely gushing reviews over is something I saw at the cinema, and I am really glad that I did make the effort to go to the cinema for it, mm-hmm. and that's Rocket Man. About King John Neal. Yeah. We'd talked earlier, I think, when we did our Great Expectations episode that Dexter Fletcher was going to be doing this movie mm-hmm. after taking over on Bohemian Rhapsody. Yep. And leading up to it, a lot of people were comparing it to Bohemian Rhapsody and sort of saying it's a very different film to Bohemian Rhapsody. And I definitely enjoyed it a lot more than I did the Queen wow. movie. Mm-hmm. 
I'm probably not the biggest Elton John fan. Like, I know a lot of his songs, but I don't. Yeah, I think I am. Previously, I liked his music, but I didn't know enough about him to... Favourite song, Nikita? No. Hakuna Matata? No. Um... I don't know what I'd say my favourite song is. Probably probably Rocket Man itself is probably my favourite song. Okay. Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting? I don't know. Him Wizards, not even his, but... No, but he does that in the movie, which I thought was kind of weird. But it's pretty iconic. Yeah. It's more of a musical than a biopic. Yep. And a lot of the people that have had negative reviews of it don't like the musical aspects of yep. it. I loved <coughs> the music. I found the fact that they could just be certain scenes where they're sitting around talking and then suddenly they burst into like Elton John songs, mm. I thought were really well done. Well, you sort of almost have to do it that way because he's not dead yet. No. And you're not looking at his life because it's not finished. Yeah, exactly. They're so just I don't looking. know when it finishes. What, what what period are we talking about? It's pretty much sort of mid-80s when he comes out of rehab. Okay. Up so, to that point. Yeah. So it it's basically starts off with him walking into rehab in full costume as if he's just come off stage sort of thing. And he's sort of thinking back. Thinking I had someone predict that that's, yeah. what's, that's how yeah. exactly it was going well, to be. And that's exactly what it is. So it starts with him going to rehab, explaining how he started from a young age, going through yeah. first getting famous to the complete excess of just drugs and sex and yep. alcohol, bulimia, spending rapidly on things that he didn't really need. Original Dwight sickness. Exactly. Yes. And it's a sexually transmitted disease. It then just sort of comes to the point where he's just about to get out of rehab and then the movie kind of finishes when he's getting back out of rehab and he does I'm Still Standing, which is his song basically saying, I've kicked the drugs, I'm mm-hmm. back, I'm alive, sort of thing. And it really explains the relationship between him and Bernie Torben really well. Mm-hmm. I thought, I know I always have trouble pronouncing his name, is it Tegan? Tegan? Tegan Ereton? The yeah, guy from Kingsman. Yep. But yeah, he plays Elton mm-hmm. and he does it really well. He actually sings his own songs, unlike Rami Malek in... Bohemian Rhapsody, but it's really well acted. And Jamie Bell, who was in Billy Elliot back in early 2000, plays Bernie Taubman. And just the relationship between Elton and Bernie is really good. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a really solid relationship. Bryce Dallas Howard plays his mum. And at first I didn't even recognise that it was her because she's got dark hair and has an English accent. But Mm -hmm. I thought she was really good. The guy that played the oldest of the... Stark brothers from Game of Thrones. I think his name is something. Rob Stark. Yeah, Rob Stark. He plays his manager and he is a really good character as well and that's really well acted. Uh, so you didn't have a problem with that, but you have a problem when Littlefinger from Game of Thrones plays a manager in. Well, yes, I did. I, I admit that I had a problem, <laughs> but I could kind of differentiate in this stage that he wasn't the guy from Game of Thrones because he had a different haircut. So yes. But – as far as recommendations go, I loved it. I thought the music was incredible. I thought just the way they staged the musical numbers was really well done. The interpretation of a couple of the songs and just bringing to life what the song actually meant, like the bit where they do Tony Dancer is really good because he's kind of vulnerable. They Tony Dancer in? No, they didn't. But <sighs> he's kind of vulnerable. He's just had his first big show and he's in this party where he doesn't know anyone and Bernie goes off and meets some chick sort of thing. And Elton's there kind of like, well, what do I do now? I don't know anyone at this party. But it I just loved it. Okay. I would really, really recommend it. it I would probably go out on a limb and say it's probably my favourite movie I've seen so far this year. Wow. So, yes. And I would say definitely see it at the cinema so you've got the big sound. Yeah. And I was lucky because my wife and I happened to have a day off during the week together. 
So we went and saw a 10 o'clock session and we were one of four people in the cinema. So, yeah. Or two of four people if my maths was better. <laughs> <laughs> the collective one. Yes, but really recommend it. Okay. But yeah. Cool. All righty. Well, that's movies. That's us for the month, unless you've got anything else you want to bring up. I, I did see a live performance, if you want to call it that. I was lucky enough to score a free ticket. I wasn't planning on going to it, but Eric Bischoff was in Australia recently doing a, what do you call it, a spoken word or just a probably part of the spe- a speaking tour? Was it a recording of his podcast? No. No, no it's just um, thanks to the podcast. So um, Eric Bischoff, for those who don't know, was the head of creative or the head of WCW for the Monday Night Wars period of of, of the well, – there was a period when WCW and WWF were head-to-head. Yes. And he was the one who poached all the big talent from WWF, like Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage and a few others. And for a good period there, he was always second. Now, Vince, who owns WWF, he is the owner. He is the boss. He is everything. Where Eric was the TV producer, I think. Yes. Who came on board and WCW was owned by Ted Turner, who was a multi-billionaire, owned TV stations, essentially. Yep. So he, he, it was, wasn't his own money. He didn't grow up with wrestling like Vince did, but he was a TV producer. Yeah. So he was always second fit like, with it. And it's like, you know, billionaire Ted had deep pockets. And we need a big star, give me money, and I'll get Hulk Hogan across. And we get this. And he sort of did it. He chased for a while. And what he did was it forced Vince to bring up talent from inside and lower talent and bring them up because yep. he lost all these big names. And it worked for a while. There was They did what they did, but they were always second. And then the NWO happened. Yeah. And if you're Hollywood Hulk Hogan, he turned Hogan bad. And for 83 weeks, they beat the WWE in the ratings. And he's got a podcast now called 83 Weeks, which is similar to the Bruce Pritchard and Tony Schiavone all do these podcasts with this guy called Conrad, who is a big wrestling fan. And Literally. he basically sits down and interviews them and he does a shitload of research. And they're interesting interviews if you know the history. You sort of need to know the history to sort of get the full appreciation of these podcasts. But he'll sit there and he'll talk about one element, like either one show or one character and just sort of go into the history of that thing. And so this happened, this happened, this happened. Here's the history behind this. This is what this. And he'll sort of ask either Bruce Pritchard in his podcast, which is what happened when. And he was the one of the bookers at the time or the road agents. And he was there for a lot of the WWE time. Yep. Shivani was a commentator for yep. WCW at the time. So he was never part of the creative, but he's a great storyteller. Yeah. And he can just sort of tell you from his perspective of what was going on at the time. And Eric, well, like I said, was the big man at WCW. So because of the popularity of these podcasts, they're doing the speaking to us now. So Pritchard came out here in the last 12 months. Yeah, March, I think it was. And, and Eric came out for this one. So luckily enough, I got a free ticket to go see it, which was fine. And it's exactly what I expected. Eric's a very good raconteur. He's a good speaker. You're talking to a bunch of neckbeards in the audience. Like, literally, there's just bald heads, ponytails, and beards. And black T-shirts? Of course. Uh, a lot of NWO shirts. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that was fine. A couple of all elite shirts in there as well. And it was, he, he just told some stories, and that's what you want to hear. Like, we're not, like I said, when I saw Stan Lee, you know, he told the story of how he came up with Spider-Man. It's like going to see the Stones and not them not playing Satisfaction. You know, you just sort of want to hear certain stories from these people. And it was fun. He told his stories. They were good. And then he opened it up to Q&A at the end. This always makes me worry. <laughs> so they're there and you know, Bass is running around the microphone. Here we've got a question on the front. And they're just, they're fans. 
Yeah. It's like some of them is like you know the answer to this, but you're asking the question because you want to sound like a wanker. Some of them overthink the question and they they just stumble on the words and like blah blah blah, blah, blah yeah. and they just can't get that the questions out. One guy was quite funny. Like I I feel sorry for the people below because I end up getting upstairs in the balcony and there was a few of my mates who were. They're involved in the business. That's why we're up there. And one may have been a little bit drunk and they're sort of egging each other on. And one guy asked a question from the audience saying, oh, I'm also managed a bunch of people. How did you deal when you were managing, you know, the outsiders and this and that? And it's like, and to their credit, stupid fucking question. Ask the question by all means. Don't put yourself in it by saying, I also manage people. Fuck you. So my drunken friend gave him a standing standing ovation. <laughs> well done, go you. Well done, manage it. Uh, yeah, so a bit of a wanker there. But people just, I mean, it's just, you get it with everything. But there's just, people can't help but put themselves yep. into into it. And the questions are just wanky. Mm-hmm. Just, you want to really go on. There was one, there weren't many girls in the audience. There was one. And she actually asked the best question of the night. She did ask one. And it was like, that's a really good question. <laughs> it was thought-provoking. It took him on a tangent. It wasn't just to promote a great story or anything yeah. or an anecdote. It was like, that's actually a really good question, and he answered it really well. So yeah. he was a really good speaker. Glad I didn't pay. I don't know what tickets are worth. I think they're worth about 70 bucks. <laughs> that's a lot of money. Yeah. But if you're a wrestling fan and you want it, that's great. If that's what you want. But then, speaking of $70 for a podcast, we're actually this week going to see last podcast on the left and Correct. I think they were $70 tickets that's different so, yeah. <laughs> I'm choosing to do that Yeah, but I think the crowd will be very similar there will be there will be a lot of neck beards and people in black t-shirts correct but I'm sure on the next episode we'll be able to give you a full rundown of that show yeah that's I, I, I live a gimmick I suppose because I go see Kevin Smith as well same fucking crowd or same some version of the same yep. in the crown. I was like, yeah, it's true. Because, I mean, I love the last podcast on the list. We've talked about it before. They're a true crime podcast. They're three comedians who don't make it palatable, but they talk about some serious, heavy shit. Yeah. But they turn it into entertainment. In a comedic which is, way. Which is wrong. Yeah. I, I admit, it's not right. But unfortunately, like being an ICP fan as well, it's the fans that can ruin these sort of yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. And I reckon last podcast could not be ruined for me because I'm going to love those guys no matter what. Their fans may piss yeah. off. And I think we had that same problem when we went to the Harmon Town podcast, that we kind of like Harmon. Yes. But we didn't like his fans. We didn't like his fans. And we don't like the fans that get up there and try and make the show about them. Yes. Mm. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Oh, I, I wish forgot I that I saw him here. Yeah. That really put us off. I, I, haven't, I haven't listened to Harmon Town. No, I haven't either. Since. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. See, now I've drank. Now I'm angry. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, hopefully, mm. last podcast for us won't be that. Yes. Well, we sort of know what we're in for because yeah. we watched their YouTube. Or live show? They did yeah. a live show on some sort of streaming, their own streaming service to a point. You pay for it and watch it. Yep. For $6.66. Yeah. So anyway, that's what we can talk about next. We will. Next. All right. But that's us for tonight. Mm-hmm. We will be back hopefully with a mini. We did miss a month with the minis because we had a few things on. But hopefully we've got a couple of ideas for some minis coming up. So we will have a mini before our next episode and we will be back in a month to tell you about last podcast and all the other stuff that we've been doing so if you do have any feedback for us you can jump on our facebook we are facebook.com slash the massive attack podcast you can find us on our website which is the mapodcast.podbean.com or we are the ma podcast on twitter cool all righty thank you mitch and we'll see you next time see ya You want me?
Yeah, I 